All right, before we get into the message uh, and jump into part two of our Unity series, um, I just want to share something with you as your pastor and uh, kind of something that our family's going through and let you in on a little bit and thank you for your support. Um, uh, just this past week on Thursday, uh, Becca's older sister, Naomi, uh, after an extended battle with alcohol, went to be with Jesus. Um, I say this as a matter of fact and not just as a uh, statement that tries to bring comfort to people. I say it as a real matter of fact. Um, she came to Sparkle uh, Conference just a month ago, and after saying no to all the other invitations to come to Sparkle, uh, she said yes this year to be a part of it came up from Arizona, was a part of Sparkle, and while she was there, she rededicated her life to Jesus Christ, uh, spent an hour in prayer with one of our team members, and just said, I confess my sins, I want to be right with Jesus, and uh, God is getting a hold of me, and I want to really affirm my faith in Jesus Christ. And it's with that, we just thank God that she uh, gave her life to Jesus Christ and said, I want to be right uh, and, and I'm right with Jesus. So I say that as a matter of fact. She is with her Lord and Savior, and we rejoice in that. Um, this past month, she spent time with family. She was hospitalized immediately after Sparkle. And uh, she spent time with the family, and I just thank God that she got in on grace. I thank God for that. I thank God that she got in on grace. I want to thank you um, as your pastor and just... As a, as a family member here to say thank you for your prayers, your support, your love for all of us. Uh, Becca's family has felt the love and the support. Um, you may not realize this, but Becca's parents are frequent worshipers with us. Although they um, live in Arizona half the year, you'll see them around River Valley many times, and they're here with us in worship. Um, you may not realize this, but Becca's sister, her family, many of her family members attended here. Her uh, daughter, oldest daughter, Jessica, and her husband, Chase, attended our Minatrista campus. And so many of our uh, people at Minatrista campus are familiar with Jessica and Chase. Her daughter, Julia, is part of our RVLI student program. She's one of our interns. Uh, her son, Jonathan, uh, attended our church for many years uh, before he went off to Arizona and then went to college. And so uh, they've been a part of our, our body. And so when you're praying for the family, you're praying for others. And when you're ministering to us, you're ministering to others that are in our body as well. Uh, I just want to say thank you again. Uh, remember the family. We are grieving. Um, you know, life is not perfect. Uh, we are grieving, but as the Apostle Paul said, how many know we don't grieve like the world does? The world grieves with no hope, and believers grieve with hope, and we have this hope and this confidence and faith and belief that what we believe is real and that we will be reunited with our loved ones, and it, it still hurts, but how many know it doesn't sting as bad? because there's a hope attached to it, and we know that uh, the grace of Jesus Christ uh, says that we'll be in a reunion with him in heaven. So there's, there's grace, and if I could say this to anyone that's listening to this, I would just say don't miss out on grace. Uh, it doesn't matter how you've lived your life. It doesn't matter. I would say don't miss out on grace. And, and God gave Naomi a, a two-minute warning, if you will, where she was able to have a moment, a timeout, but it's not promised to everyone to get that moment. But if you do get it and you've not jumped in on grace, I pray you would jump in on grace. But if you don't get that moment, if you don't get that, I would just beg for you to, to make today your day of salvation. That at the end of the service, you'd find your way to a prayer team memory and you'd realize life is a vapor. 
and that God gives grace to every one of us. And if we'll simply ask to be forgiven of our sins, he will get us in on grace. Don't miss out on it. Um, I want to say once again, thank you to the church for your love and your care, your support, and all the different things. Um, I, I don't know how people make it without knowing Jesus. I don't know how people make it without having a church that would love them. And uh, the church has looked so beautiful right now. You've looked incredibly beautiful. And uh, as your pastor, as just someone that has had a family member uh, die, it's just, you've looked beautiful. And for that, I say thank you. And thank you for being so beautiful. It just, it makes Jesus look so good when the church comes together in times of crisis, in times of hurt, and in times of pain. It's, it's what he's praying for, that we love one another. And thank you for being so beautiful. Um, with that, we're going to look at the church um, and unity and strife, and uh, we're going to look at the church not looking so beautiful. Um, and it's hard for me to preach a message on strife and ugly when the church has been so beautiful to us, but we're going to do that. That's where we're at in this series. And uh, I got to say this, I'm actually saddened by some of the examples that I'll have to share in this sermon. Um, I actually prayed about even sharing some of these examples because it doesn't make the church look that good. Um, some of the things that I'm going to share are kind of embarrassing that the church would fight over them or act this way or behave this way. Um, but for those that are watching this online or will see this, because we're going to put it online with our archives and people will be able to access this through the internet and be able to see this for years and years to come. And again, that's why I hesitated. But I would just say this, for anyone that's looking for an aha thing to point at the church and say, see how you fight, see the strife that you have, that's why I'd never join it. I would say instead of having that attitude, why not say, man, if a bunch of imperfect people can still come together and love Jesus, there might be room for me. Because I already know the church is not for perfect people. And if it was, there'd be no room for anybody else. So be thankful for that, all right? There's room for you to join us. And um, last week we talked about unity and how beautiful it is. Jesus predicted church growth and prayed for unity because he knew he'd be bringing a bunch of spicy, diverse people together. And they need a lot of grace, a lot of prayer, a lot of godliness to keep them together. And we knew that uh, we were praying for unity. He was praying for unity and we thank God for that. So the opposite of unity, the opposite of what we looked at last week, we said it's beautiful. It's like a cold drink of water to a weary traveler. It's, it's, it's just beautiful. It smells good. It passes the smell test. That's unity. The opposite of that is strife. The opposite of unity is when you have strife and you have division and it just tears down the message of Jesus Christ. And we want nothing to do with it, but sadly, so many churches have it. And I can tell you this, nobody likes strife. We don't like strife in any area of our life. Maybe you might see an opponent in a sporting event and they have strife and you're like, hey, good, you destroy each other first before you come after me. But nobody really likes strife. I can remember one night, Becca said, hey, I want to go out with some of the girls from church and we're going to do like a ladies night and go to a movie and see a chick flick. I'm like, knock yourself out. I am not. I'll watch a sporting event or something or go golfing or whatever. Go have fun with the ladies. And so she goes to her movie and she comes back and I said, well, how was your chick flick movie? And she said, it was terrible. 
I was like, really? <laughs> what was it? And she said, it was called the breakup. <laughs> and she said, all they did is fight the whole movie. She said, I had a stomachache the whole time. They were so mean towards each other and the strife. And she goes, I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. I said, see, that's why I don't go. You know, <laughs> I don't go. Because Arnold, how many know he just shoots his enemies, you know? <laughs> it's over, no strife, man. You know, but... And I thought about it. She said, I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. How many know that if your church is full of strife, that's how people feel? I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. I wouldn't tell anyone to go there. I wouldn't tell anyone to be a part of it. A church full of strife is ugly. It gives us a stomachache. Nobody wants to be a part of it. A church with strife is a church that is, has like cut its own legs off. It has no ability to move forward. It has no ability to evangelize. A church that has strife is the opposite of Isaiah 52, 7 that says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. A church with strife, it doesn't have beautiful feet. A church with strife isn't going out after the lost. A church with strife is just stuck in one place, fighting with each other, duking it out like two heavyweight fighters. They can't move, and they just sit there, and they punch each other. And you're thinking, when will this thing be over? That's a church with strife. And that's why the enemy wants to fill a church with strife, a family with strife, uh, anything he can with strife because it loses its effectiveness. It's so ugly. A church with strife is ugly. And I feel this way. Your greeters will either be operating in a spirit of unity or a spirit of strife. And if a church is unified, like your greeters are out there with like a beautiful face. It's like a spiritual enhancement of our greeters ministry. And if your church is full of strife, it's like your greeters are out there and they're just like, welcome to church. <laughs> Who wants to go to that church? I mean, how many know we got guys out there waving flags like, come on in, you know? And when there's unity, like you love those guys waving the flags. You're like, yeah, we're coming in. And, and there's just a, a great feeling. And when there's strife, man, it repels people. So, so think about it. Uh, the face of our church, our greeter. Our spiritual face is either unity or strife, and thank God for the unity that we have. And again, I'm preaching this because we have great unity, but I know we're growing and growing and growing, and I want to make sure we're on the same page with this. Now, strife is so ugly. I could tell you just recently, I was at another church. I was there because um, they had put their church up for sale. And it was in a location that we absolutely wanted. As elders, we jumped at the opportunity to purchase this building and to purchase their land. It's where we want to have a campus. Key location, couldn't beat it. But here was the deal. There were 40 remaining members left. And I think it was split down the middle, 20 and 20. And they hated each other. They couldn't stand each other. They were fighting in the church for so long and in disagreement for so long that they were suing each other. The two parties were suing each other and the bill reached $750,000. So they realized there's 40 people left. We're suing each other. We hate each other. We owe $750,000. I don't want to pay it. You don't want to pay it. What are we going to do? So they put their church for sale. 
And they said, the church that will come in and pay off our legal bills of 750000 and the amount that we owe on the land, which was several hundred thousand dollars more, can have our building. They can just have it because we've been suing each other. We hate each other so bad. So again, wanting that location, wanting that spot and realizing this would be a key asset, we put together a package to buy that land. It came down to us in one other church. So I had to go there to the meeting right before church on a Saturday night. And I walked in there at three and I had to present for one hour, then get done, then rush over here to get ready to preach. And I went into this church and they were fighting. And they said, all right, we have the two sides. And they said, you each get turns. We got to rotate back and forth. And they said, go ahead, ask your first question from side A. And they actually had a judge there from the county uh, overseeing this. And so I'm up there ready to talk about vision, reaching lost people. And the first question is, would you ever sue your brother? And I'm looking at the, like, okay, all right. Yeah, and I realized I've walked into a hornet's nest. And the questions were all about this and that and nitpicking back and forth. And I'm like, we want to reach lost people. And they're like, yeah, who cares about lost people? Would you ever? And I'm just like, oh my goodness. At the end of the meeting, we get done and we get in the car. I'm kind of shaken. And Becca's like, I don't think we want that place. I don't want anything to do with it. She's like, I just want to burn the place down, but I won't. But I mean, she's like, she goes, we need to shower before church. Don't even bring that spirit back to River Valley. See, because we know the value of unity. We left there. We didn't get the church. They actually opted for that other church, a much smaller church. And I believe that both sides still wanted to stay there. And I pray that that pastor can survive whatever war ensues between those two groups. But it was ugly. It was ugly. And if they're not alone, the stats say that about four to eight million Christians will file lawsuits this year. This comes from Peacemakers Ministry. They say that this will cost Christians about 20 to 40 billion dollars. This year, they estimate that 19,000 congregations in the United States will have major church conflict. 19,000 out of 380,000 congregations will have major church conflict. And you think about this. This is so sad. Last week in the sermon when I was preaching, I had a guy that was chairman of the board at another church from out of town. His uh, grandchild was being dedicated. And he came up to me afterwards with tears in his eyes. And he said, I needed this message. Our church is fighting. We're not reaching the lost. We're imploding. Our giving's going down. It's being destroyed because we're fighting. He said, I'm praying our whole church will jump in online and watch this series. And if you're watching, I pray you'll grab hold of this and realize strife is ugly. God desires for you to be at peace. Man, it's very real. It's not just us. There's there's strife in history. There's strife in the Bible. It's all over the place. I mean, just open the Bible. Go to Genesis chapter 4. You see Cain and Abel strife. We've got murder. What happens from that? Banishment. Do you ever think God's plan for the family was to have to banish a brother away from his family because he had such strife that he'd kill his brother? Not a chance. We have Abraham and Lot. God's blessing them. Their their herds are growing. But because the blessings of God are so strong, they're fighting with each other. Think about it. You're getting blessed so much that you're fighting with each other. What do they have to do? They have to separate. You look at Hagar and Sarah. They're bickering and fighting in the strife. What happens? Banishment. Notice a trend here. You see, Moses, Moses is leading the children of Israel. He's leading them. God's called him to lead, and he's leading his own sister and brother have a problem with them. They're like, we don't like who you married. 
<laughs> you thought your Thanksgiving was bad, huh? <laughs> we don't like your wife. We don't like your interracial marriage. We're opposed to you. Who do you think you are? And all of a sudden, God strikes Miriam with leprosy, his sister with leprosy. And Moses is like, hey, she's sorry. God's like, well, you tell her, get outside the camp for seven days. Again, separation. They said, what happened to Aaron? Nothing happened to Aaron, but here's probably why. Aaron was the priest, and the only way for her to be restored was to come back to the priest. So God, because of his position, seems to withhold something off of Aaron so he can function in the role. That's a whole other thing. But the point there, there was strife and division, and it led to separation. Okay? You see this. You see Korah rises up against Moses. And he says, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? There's a whole other lesson there. Can I tell you this? Your pastors and your leaders are not perfect. They're just called. Okay? If you've got issue with that, take it up with God. All right? So Korah has issue with Moses. And he's like, I don't like you. You're not perfect. You're... And he's having an issue. And so God's like, all right, separate Korah over there, Moses over there. And then God's like, okay, here's my judgment. And he creates an earthquake and swallows up Korah. That's kind of like banishment, Okay? You know, you get an earthquake, swallows you, that kills you. Okay, that's banishment, okay? Saul, David, Absalom, that's strife. And you got banishment. You've got all these things going on that are going on in David's family. Strife brings this. Now, here's the thing. In the New Testament, we also have strife. In the New Testament, we have strife. We have troubles. But here's a neat thing. We have strife and trouble. We have division. But the New Testament always comes around to a solution, it always comes, it says, yeah, we're human, there's troubles, there's division, there'll be strife, but we are going to work for a solution. The apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, come on, I beg of you, be at peace. At Ephesians, he's saying, make every effort to be at peace. He's always bringing peace. When, when Peter is, is creating problems, Paul said, I withstood him to his face, and I had the leaders judge, and the leaders judge, and they said that I was right, and Peter was wrong, and we got this solved, and Peter confessed, and we got this worked out, and the, and the worst situation where he can't agree, they're like, all right, we can't figure it out. I'm not going to take him as my assistant. You go your way, preach the gospel, I'll pray for you. You go your way, and I'll go my way, and we'll just pray for each other, okay? But it was always strife, division, but solution. And as New Testament followers of Jesus Christ, we have to work towards the solution. And Paul, over and over again, is saying this, and he's going to let us in on a giant church issue in Philippians chapter 2 and chapter 4. If you have your Bible, you can turn there, and we'll get there. And we'll see that conflict is normal because we're human. We're just human beings. And, and God just takes all the diversity in the church and he says, it's beautiful. And he says, you don't have to look the same. You don't have to act the same. You're kind of like an orchestra. You all play different instruments, but you're beautiful when you play together. You're beautiful when you play together. Let's not miss that. So we're, we're solving problems, we're reconciling, we're realizing we're human. And in Philippians chapter 4 and in chapter 2, let me read chapter 4, 1 and 3. Paul is writing this, and he says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with these two ladies, and I won't pronounce their names because I won't even attempt it, all right? To be of the same mind in the Lord. 
Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. He's saying these two ladies are fighting, and I'm pleading with a leader in the church, get in there, mix it up, help them to be at peace. They are solid workers with the kingdom. We've got to bring peace. So that's chapter four. Now, I read that first before I read chapter two, because I believe this. I believe Paul knew he was going to address this issue later on in the letter. And so he's like writing things with this in mind the whole way leading up to this. So in chapter two, he says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So let me set the scenario here. We've got two ladies that are fighting. They live in the town of Philippi. It's a Greek town. All right, you got to understand, these ladies were Greek ladies. Think my big fat Greek wedding. Okay, they were that type of woman because in Philippi, it was unlike anywhere else in the region, women were leaders in Philippi. They were in charge in Philippi. They were key. Lydia in the book of Acts, Philippi. We've got these two, Philippi. We've got all these leaders that are women in Philippi. And in that city, it was just very accepted that women were leaders. And so they were outspoken, they had dominant personalities, and and now you wonder, like, okay, that's where it comes from. Greek, Italian, Jewish, you get in the picture, all right? This is what it is. And so you've got these ladies that have this Greek intensity to them, and this Greek passion. And how many know people with great intensity can have great collisions? That's what happens. Sometimes you'll even see that in church. Really powerful leaders have really strong collisions. Why? Because they're so enthusiastic and they're so powerful and they're so impassioned by what they're doing. And also you're like, I can't believe those two would fight because there's such intensity there. But Paul's saying, come on, we got to have peace. (laughs) How many know that that's not always the problem in our church? Like, we have a bunch of Norwegians. (laughs) And how many know Norwegians are like passive aggressive? (laughs) Any problem? No, I'm fine. Real good. Just perfect. <laughs> I don't have a degree in mind reading. You know, I mean, like, okay, but they, wouldn't have, they didn't have their problem. They thought and everybody knew about it, okay? Now, here's the deal. These two ladies, throw their names on the screen. All right, if you want to try to pronounce them, you can. But here's the thing that I found out. Here's the meanings of their name, and I'm going to call them by this from now on. The meanings of their name are success and lucky, all right? So that's the meaning of their names. And so for the rest of the sermon, success and lucky need to get along, all right? So success and lucky are fighting. And I want to point this out. It couldn't have been a huge problem because they were still both in the church. But it was a big enough problem that it made it all the way to Rome. So the apostle Paul is in Rome chained to a guard getting ready to die. Okay, he's getting ready to die as an apostle for Jesus Christ. And he's writing this in one of his last letters. I mean, he's writing, okay, ladies, success and lucky, get along. 
You've got to get along. And you think about it, their petty problem reached all the way to the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul is addressing it. And I thought about this. So many times you think, well, it's just our problem, it's just our problem. Just think of the countless hours that Paul lost trying to solve a stupid problem. Think of the countless hours that leaders lose because of petty problems. And you're doing mediation at the church, you've got the elders involved, the deacons involved, and your life group is struggling and all this. And it's a petty problem. Solve the problem. Solve the problem. So it's big enough that it gets to Paul's attention, and Paul addresses it. He doesn't say, oh, those two. He actually says, okay, we've got to address this. Why? Because the Apostle Paul knew that eternal unity or internal unity is necessary to hold off darkness. If we are fighting with each other, darkness is going to overcome. And he knew that if we're going to fight and advance the cause of Christ, we cannot have strife in the body. So he's like, this is serious, guys. He knew that this could destroy the church. He knew that unless we show unity, people shouldn't even listen to our message. And he knew there were a bunch of lost people at Philippi that needed the church to be unified and he needed the message to be heard. So he's like, stop the fighting. He knew that a fighting church has no power. It has no legs. He knew that a fighting church, basically, Jesus has left the building. I'm telling you, when I was there at that church the other day, it felt like Jesus had left the building and we brought Jesus in to present to that church. It felt like he was long gone. And the apostle Paul knew this. And so he said, come on, success and lucky, you've got to get along. And I can almost just hear it like my dad, don't make me pull this car over. How many know I'm talking about? <laughs> you two get along, don't make me pull this car. You know? So the apostle Paul, with that kind of intensity, he's like, come on, stop this. And in chapter two, he gives us insight as to why this strife and fighting happens. And he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition in, in verse three. Don't do it. He says, if you live for selfish ambition in the kingdom of God, you're gonna cause fights. Selfish ambition is when you're saying, I'm number one, I need, I'm the leader. If I'm not the leader, I'm not helping. That's selfish ambition. Good ambition says, we need to reach people. We need a youth group. I'll be a sponsor. I'll set up chairs. I'll do whatever I can. I'll do, we just need to reach them. And then maybe you become the leader, maybe you don't. But you just say, I, we, let's go. Let's do something. That's good ambition. There's nothing wrong with that. Selfish ambition says, if I'm not in charge, I'm not helping. That's a wrong thing. And he says, when you start doing that, when you want the limelight, man, you're in big trouble. Now, now, you may not realize this, but Success and Lucky, our two ladies here, probably had big houses, and it's, it's thought that both of them actually hosted the church. The church actually met in their home because they didn't have a church building yet. And so before they had buildings, they would meet in people's homes, and whoever had a big house, they'd meet there. And it's thought that Success and Lucky actually hosted the church. What if the fight was over this? How come she always gets late service and gets to sleep in? And I don't. That's not fair. You think that would never, oh, trust me. Then Paul says, don't do anything out of vain conceit. What does vain conceit mean? It sounds a lot like selfish ambition. It's personal prestige. Don't do it so you get noticed. You get noticed. Let me, let me just say this. Um, when you get noticed and, and when you're thought of as important, that can be intoxicating to you. When you live for the Twitter shout out, when you live for the Instagram photo, when you live for the praise of men, when you live to be noticed, and come on, admit it, it feels good to be in a meeting. It feels good to be in a meeting and the leader or the speaker or the key powerful person walks by and goes, hey, good to see you. Bill, it's good to see you. Good to, hey, hey, we'll be over for dessert later. Are we still on for dessert? And kind of like, see, they know me. 
How many of that feels good? Or they're giving their keynote address and they're like, you know, before I get started, I just want to give a shout out to River Valley Church and Pastor Rob and their key giving that made this all possible. How many know that could feel pretty good? And if you're doing for that and if you're living for vain conceit, Paul says, watch out because strife is right behind that. When you do your good works, you do it for God, whether you get the shout out or not, whether you're in the back, whether you're not seen, it's not about vain conceit. Man, I can remember stress. You want to know one of the most stressful times being a pastor? It was judging the winner of the dessert competition at the church picnic. Man, I was like, all apple pies are winners. Oh, you know, I, I wanted to run up. And I hate when everybody's the winner, but I was like, you're going to declare them all. I wish a pastor from another church made the judgment call. We did it one year and never again. Man, because like, oh, I did that. Are you not going to notice how good? Paul says, if you're looking after your own interests, you're going to be fighting. He said, don't live after your own interests. Live for the interest of others. If you concentrate on yourself, you're going to have strife. Because you know what? If you concentrate always on me, 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 you start looking at other people as competition. And how many know your competition brings strife? And he's saying, don't do that. Don't do that. Now, a sad thing about our two ladies here, success and lucky, is that maturity does not guarantee you won't fight. I wish I could say that mature believers don't fight, but they still do, okay? And, and success and lucky, Paul says, hey, they were right there in the trenches, trenches with me. They were there. They're key leaders. They were there when the gospel was hard. They were there. They're key leaders, and they're fighting, and we can't have any of this. So just because you're mature, don't think, well, I don't fight. I won't fight. You have just as much opportunity. The enemy is still going to attack you. You have to die daily. So he gives some things and some keys on how they can move forward. And he says, hey, guys, he says, if you have any encouragement of being in Christ, have peace. And he's saying, do you forget the thing that brings us all together here is Jesus Christ. The cross brings us together. And if I could, he was saying, basically, the big gap between you and God, God forgave the big gap. Forgive the little gap. Never forget the thing that brings you here is big gap forgiveness. I plead with you because you've experienced big gap forgiveness, give little gap forgiveness to one another. Man, he's saying, hey, if there's anything else going on, he said, if there's, if there's anything that you know in Christ's love, if you felt love, because the language of the kingdom of God is love, if you felt love, for the sake of love, get along. If he could have, he probably said like, Look at 1 Corinthians 13, what I wrote to those guys. I mean, live that, guys. And for us today, he'd say, live love. He's pleading with them. He's like, if you have any common sharing in the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit's real in your life, the Holy Spirit was compared to oil like we did last week. If there's any lubrication of the Holy Spirit, let the Holy Spirit lubricate that friction and get along, guys. You got the power of the Holy Spirit to bring spicy people together. Get along. So he's pleading with all these things. He's saying, if you have any tenderness or compassion, if your mom and dad raised you well at all, get along. Do you see this? Like he's appealing to every opportunity. And then I think he just drops the total Greek mother, Jewish mother, Italian mother. And he basically says like, because I'm your spiritual father, do it for me. Don't be the death of me. That's what he says, basically. 
He's like, come on, for me. I'm your spiritual father. Get along. And you can just see him pleading. Like, you can almost see him like fighting. And then also they're like, oh, spiritual dad's in prison about to die and look at us. Bringing shame on the family. And I'm thinking that Paul was hoping way before that, the big gap, little gap thing would have got him, but he kind of throws it all out there at the end. Man, he knew that a church filled with strife, strife is not mobilized. He knew that it's not motivated and it's not funded. He knew that a church filled with strife, when the pastor would get up and say, hey, we're going to go do this, and then success would say, well, is Lucky going to be there? Yeah, Lucky's leaving. Well, then I'm out. Paul knew that a church that had strife and that has strife between the leaders and the people, how many know sometimes strife will cause you to say, well, I'm not giving then. I ain't giving. I ain't giving to kingdom builders. I ain't giving. I'm going to hold my tithe. I'm going to show how angry I am to the church. I'm going to show how much strife. Please don't live in disobedience to show how strife has filled your life and how mad you are with leadership. Man, this is dangerous. Work it out. Work it out. So Paul's like, come on, get along, get along, get along. And he wants it resolved so much. Last thing that I'll share here. He asked this fellow worker, he says, yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side. So he appeals to somebody, we don't know who it is. And he says, hey, my fellow worker, you know who you are, get in the mix. How many know that? She's like, oh, Paul. Why did you ask me? How many know that you don't want to get into other people's fights and business? And a lot of us have taken the posture like, not me, just kind of stay out of it. Don't get involved. Let the two fight. I don't want them to turn on me. And Paul's like, hey, this is so important. Get involved. Whole church, get involved. And leader, get involved. And I would say this to you. If you're a leader in our church and you see people in strife, get involved. Paul would say, at all costs and all risk, get involved to keep the unity of the church. Do not let strife fester. Don't let disunity build up. Solve the problem. Be a leader. Get involved. You may think it's petty, but it wastes countless hours of leadership time. Solve the problem. And if it's possible, with whatever you can do, bring unity to the church. Stop the strife. Stop the strife. Now, we don't know if they actually worked it out. We don't know. Paul doesn't give us a follow-up on it. We know that Paul died after this, and how many know that, man, he's like, all right, the funeral, we're here. Let's bury it. Let's, let's, let's be done with this hate. Let's be done with the strife. And I'm believing they just got along and said, man, we're going to protect the secret ingredient of the church, which is unity. I believe that. And I believe they said they were sorry to each other. And just like my dad used to say, say you're sorry. Now say it like you mean it. Now hug your brother, all right, you know. And I think Success and Lucky got together and said, all right, let's build the kingdom together. We're better together than we ever could be apart. And I pray that we just hear what Paul's saying, man, Jesus has forgiven the big gap. Man, let's forgive the little gap in our brothers and sisters in Christ. So Lord, I pray right now that that would convict us. The big gap was taken care of. There's no way that the small gap could ever, ever, ever come close to the big gap. And I pray that we protect the unity of the church. This church has great unity, and we're moving forward with that. I pray that we'd have great unity with other churches. I pray for the church of that board member that talked to me last week, and I pray for unity on his church. 
I pray a blessing. I, I pray that the same unity that's on our church would fall on their church, and in a revival-type way, there'd be great unity there. I pray for churches that are struggling. I pray for this church I mentioned in my illustration. I pray that the pastor that they partnered with would be able to navigate that and have unity and reach people in that community that need Jesus. Lord, we want to see a unified church. And I pray that if we have issue with anyone we try the best we can to bring about a peaceful situation, that others would help us bring apart uh, about a peaceful situation, that leaders wouldn't say hands off, but they'd say we will aggressively bring you two together and help there to be peace. Thank you for this. Thank you, God, for the unity we feel. May we always have that. May we protect it when there's division and strife. May we always look for solutions so we can get back on track with what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.